There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. If you're just looking out at that glorious morning, let me tell you, it's not all it looks like. It looks gorgeous. It is stunning to look at. It's flipping Baltic out there. Absolutely freezing. It's like a morning in early November. But it will warm up a bit, they tell us, in the afternoon. Gorgeous, gorgeous Tuesday morning. Listening to the news there, uh, I think I'm completely with Leo Varadkar. Now, people will play that back to bash me with for the next 20... That's fine. I'm completely with Leo Varadkar on this one. I'd take an AstraZeneca jab right here, right now, in this studio, if it was offered to me. Just in case there's any lying around. Again, that'll come back to haunt me too. But I want to know what you think of this whole AstraZeneca story a little bit later on. We'll look into it in a little bit of depth later on this hour. What exactly is the problem? Just how serious is uh, the side effect? Just how likely is the side effect? Like, is it very, very possible that a woman on the pill, uh, any one of my listeners currently taking the contraceptive pill, is probably more likely to put themselves at risk of a blood clot any given month than they are in taking an AstraZeneca vaccine. So what's all the fuss about? That is coming up in a little while on Tuesday's Opinion Line. 1850-715-996. The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Want to hear from you, as they say, this is the big show and the lines are live now. We have talked about mental illness, psychological illness and disorder, psychiatric illness and disorder on the programme many, many times connected with uh, coronavirus. And as a new study has come out from Oxford University. Now, it's quite scary, actually. And before I get into it, let me tell you, and I won't name the person, but let me tell you that a contributor to this programme in only the last number of days, 
less than a fortnight, when we were lining the person up and communicating with them off air, said, look, I've had COVID. I'm fine, but I forget my words. I'm struggling to remember my words. So is that part of what we're about to speak about? One in three COVID-19 survivors in a study of more than 230,000 most of them were America, American. They were diagnosed with either a brain or a psychiatric disorder within six months. And now scientists are very worried that the pandemic could lead to a wave of mental and neurological problems. This was published uh, in, the, in the last number of days. One of the uh, people who worked upon it is a clinical fellow with the University of Oxford, Maxime uh, Takei. Uh, line one, yeah. Maxime, good morning to you. Morning. Good to speak with you. These are worrying yeah. figures. Yes, they are. Um, and uh, in a way, we've been discovering more and more over the course of the pandemic the impact that um, uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus causing COVID-19 can have on different parts of the body. Um, and we were um, looking in this study at, at its impact on brain health, which includes neurological uh, diseases and as well as uh, mental health disorders. Um, and as you as you rightly said, what we found is that one in three patients after a diagnosis of COVID-19 go on to have a, a psychiatric or so mental health or a neurological diagnosis in the six months after they're in there. Is this connected to the virus specifically, back or to the situation, the entire situation itself? So that's a very good question. Um, we, we need to um, uh, tease apart the different factors that might be at play here. One of them, as you said, might be the virus. We know that the virus... Um, can um, get into the brain. We also know that it can cause inf- inflammation that goes beyond the lungs and including the brain. And we know that those things might potentially cause things like mental illnesses. Uh, it might also be that um, after receiving a diagnosis of COVID-19, um, that generates a lot of stress for patients. And that, that sort of um, heightened stress level might then materialize in, in things like psychiatric uh, diseases. And we don't think that those are mutually exclusive. We, we believe that they might both be at play um, um, when we talk about, about mental, mental illness. Is it that the whole stress of the situation, trying to avoid COVID, trying to avoid picking it up, and if you happen to have it, trying to avoid passing it on to, to anybody around you who might be more vulnerable than you, that that is playing on all of our minds and is just affecting some people more than others? Yeah, you, you're quite right. But uh, one thing that we looked at in our study in order to try and, and see whether that was the only explanation was that we looked at control groups. So groups of patients who were also living through the pan- pandemic also had to self-isolate, also had to, um, you know, sometimes lose their job, also had to lose their social networks, etc. And those were groups of patients who had other diseases, not COVID-19, but other diseases during the pandemic. Um, such as the flu or um, other other infections of the uh, of the lungs, and what we found is that those patients, even though they were living through the same pandemic as we were, and and in the same pandemic as the people with COVID nineteen were, uh, were less affected in terms of their mental health and their neurological health. So we believe that there is there must be something to do with COVID nineteen itself. Um, no, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the virus itself. It could be, as you said, you know, the stress of 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 and uh, uh, passing on uh, COVID-19 to somebody else, which you wouldn't have, obviously, if you should have um, another uh, respiratory tract infection. So it might still be that, but it wouldn't be just, so to speak, um, the, the impact that the pandemic has had on all of us. Mm. So what you seem to be suggesting, Max, is that the, the, the research must now continue to know, does 
does COVID-19 have an actual effect on the workings of the brain, an actual chem- chemical or biochemical effect? Yes, that's absolutely right. I think that's, uh, that's, that's high on the list of priorities in terms of research on, on brain health and, and COVID-19. And in, there are some studies going on, including studies in, um, looking at uh, brain imaging, so looking in, into the brain and trying to understand what's going on in, pe- in people who have had uh, COVID-19. And those are um, uh, crucially important. Since the very start of this, uh, mental health campaigners have been saying that once this pandemic is over, there will be another pandemic, a pandemic of broken mental health. Does this study illustrate that? Do, does it add to that argument? Well, I, th- I think it does. Um, we knew from prior studies that the pandemic, as you suggested, the pandemic has had an impact on all of us and, and on all of our mental health. Uh, mental health. Now, for some people, um, that then materialised in an actual mental health, um, mental illness, a psychiatric disorder that needs to be treated. And, um, and, and we suspect that what, what this study um, um, adds to that is that the COVID-19 itself, so having a diagnosis of COVID-19 does contribute to that um, increased rate of, of those disorders. So I would agree with your um, uh, listener saying um, that, um, um, or health camp- a mental health campaigner saying that there is going to be an increased rate of, of those disorders and we need to be ready for them. Mm, there, there needs to be an allocation of resources now by governments internationally. I think, I think that's right. I think it was already the case before the pandemic. We know that um, diseases like depression um, contribute, uh, is one of the leading causes of, of disability worldwide. Um, and and this, this pandemic is certainly not improving the situation. So, yes, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I work in, in mental health um, mm. and I see patients with mental illnesses every day. And sometimes it's sad to say that what's, what's, what's separating a patient with a mental illness from, from an effective treatment is, is a very long waiting list. Yeah. yeah. As a psychiatrist yourself, and, and are you concerned, Max, that, you know, one day, and we've been saying this since the first discovery of, of COVID-19, one day this will be gone by some means or other, be it by vaccine or be it just by the virus burning itself out, whatever way it will happen. One day this will be gone. As a practicing psychiatrist, are you concerned with what will be left thereafter? Well, I, I am, um, and I think other specialties will be concerned as well. You know, we, we're talking more and more about the long-term impact of COVID and sometimes going to long COVID. And, um, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the virus itself might be gone, but, but its consequences um, might be long-standing. As I said there in my introduction to you, a contributor to this program in the last brief number of weeks, in, you know, the way we communicate off-air before we put somebody on, said, look, I'm forgetting some of my words. I've made a complete physical recovery, but I'm forgetting some of my words. That That's in this study. It, there are issues here with people's neurological ability. That's right. So we didn't look specifically at cognitive abilities, so the, the ability to memorize things, remember words. But we did look at, a, I guess, a very severe um, presentation of that, which is diagnosis of dementia. And what we found is that the, diagnosis, the rates of diagnosis of dementia were also uh, raised after COVID-19 compared to the flu, for instance. And so while we need to be careful about how we interpret those results, it certainly um, um, sort of agrees with what your listener was saying. And, and, and I guess what it shows is that the listener um, is not alone. And many people after a diagnosis of COVID-19 go on to have difficulties with word, um, word finding and, and other cognitive tasks. Um, and we need to be, again, we need to be ready to 
um, provide support for those patients. Okay, listen, thank you very much. Max Take, uh, clinical psychiatrist, and he was part of that research team at Oxford University. This time last year, we were looking at what might happen down the road with regard to the virus. And there were those who told us we'd be here this time this year, a year on. And they were laughed at. I remember them. I'm not going to start naming them. You know who they are. People who told us in April 2020, we'd still be here in April 2021. They were laughed at. And they were ridiculed. They were right. You don't need me to name their names. Now we're talking serious, in-depth research of nearly a quarter of a million people screaming at the governments of the world, be ready for a mental health tsunami after this. But it's all gone away. There's a practicing clinical psychiatrist saying, I'm worried about what's left after when all of this is gone away. So let us be ready, shall we? 1850-715-996. Jim's in y'all. He says, PJ, it's beautiful here. We had a great day yesterday with all the people down. Glorious sunshine. A sign that summer is here. That's almost here. Fantastic to see. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful to see. Walking in across town this morning after getting my bus and coming across Patrick's Bridge and beautiful sunrise. Absolutely gorgeous. The sun rising high into the sky at that stage. It may be, what, ten past or quarter past seven. But it's moving. And Francis from the Blackrock Castle Observatory was here a few weeks ago and saying, as you watch this, it will move a little bit. It is moving. And, you know, summer and spring are progressing. And again, this is no COVID can take this from us. I said yesterday, I'd love to start seeing your pictures now that you can get out of your 5K and go wherever you want in our beautiful county. Uh, yeah, if you have pictures, you know, bang them to us on Twitter or on email. Where have you been? Just give us your nice pictures. I'd love to see them. We'll share some of the best ones. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Feel like a winner, like a winner. Join Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM for your chance to win with Aldi all week long. We're giving away 300 euro Aldi vouchers each day to one lucky winner. Check out Aldi's click and collect service using the Aldi app for a simpler shopping experience. See aldi.ie for more information. Listen all week from 6am to win. Only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. Yeah, I said that at the top of the programme when I stand over. If someone wants to walk in here now with a needle and a little bottle and say, PJ, open up your arm there, I'll do it. Uh, with regard to AstraZeneca. Because the facts are, the facts are, and they're all over the place for anyone to see, you have got a 0.0004% chance of getting a serious blood clot. Four cases in one million vaccines of getting a serious blood clot. If you're on the pill, there are 500 to 1,200 cases among every one million women, which is small but significant. If you smoke... 1,700 cases of blood clot in a million smokers. And COVID, 
you've got a 16.5% chance of suffering blood clots if you get severe COVID. So 16.5% chance of getting severe blood clots with COVID, 0.004% chance of severe blood clots with AstraZeneca. In fact, Ronan Glynn, the uh, acting chief medical officer, deputy chief medical officer, said uh, last evening at their briefing that if you are still offered AstraZeneca, take it. It's safe. What they're being offered is a very safe, very effective vaccine for their age cohort. Uh, And as we've shown, the risks to them of contracting COVID-19, ending up in critical care, ending uh, ending up dying as a result of that disease are far, far, far higher uh, than any potential risk from receipt of one of these vaccines. All that having been said, as of this morning, AstraZeneca is only being given out to people between the ages of 60 and 69. Nobody over 70 is getting it. They're all getting Pfizer and Moderna. And nobody under 60 will get it now. People who have had their first dose who are under 60, a lot of healthcare workers involved there, for example, a lot of people working in different healthcare services have had one jab and will want a second one. Well, that'll happen now in 16 weeks, not 12. Uh, Presumably because they're waiting on research, but people will get their second dose of that. Uh, And those aged under 60 with a high-risk medical condition who got their first jab will get their second one as well. There are other changes, though. Um, Atakan, you got your first jab. You're well under 60, were you 22 or 23? You got your first jab last week, wasn't it, Atakan? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? Hi, you got yeah, Addison's disease, and you got we we heard your story. You got your first jab. Your second. Have you a date for the second one? Um, no, not not as of yet. But um, two weeks tomorrow. Now I got my first dose um, Wednesday two weeks ago. So and how I, were you afterwards? Yeah. What what was that? Sorry, how I didn't were hear. you afterwards? Oh, fine. I was very little side effects straight away. The only side effect I had was a a sore arm, a bit of a headache, and that night then. I had a bit of a heat, a fever, a kind of a high temperature, and I just kind of, you know, after an alcohol hangover, you kind of feel the next morning a bit, just a bit ill. Mm. But after that, besides that, very little side effects. And the nurse that gave me the vaccine, she went through all the side effects with me, and she went through the ones that were very rare, which were the ones I, or the ones that were very rare, which were like blood clots. Mm. And then she said the ones that were very, very common, which were the ones I got. So yeah. it's a very transparent system. Yeah, yeah. And you were briefed fully before they put the needle in your arm of what the side effects might be. And and she said if you felt particularly unwell, did they advise you to contact a doctor or what? Yeah, she said after seven days, if you continue to have symptoms like, you know, like um, if you have severe symptoms like chest pains or breathlessness or severe symptoms like that, contact your GP. And if you have the symptoms that I ha- had after the first day, contact them if you have them seven days afterwards still. Mm, mm. And you were fine within what, 36 hours? Oh, even less. I, I'd say even just after 24 hours, I was feeling better. I was, I'm was i doing work placement remotely, as you know, so yeah. I was able to do work placement the day after as normal, so it didn't affect me in any way, shape or form. Mm. What do you think of all this? Look, people are obviously worried and we have to we have to trust the doctors and the scientists to do their best for us. But, but what do you feel about all of this? I mean, there's Leo Varadkar saying this morning that if someone wants him to take it, he'd take it today. 
I just think it's a bit there's a bit of mixed messaging. Like I I respect Nyack's expert advice, and of course their advice is expert advice, and mine is just an opinion. But I think it's a bit of a decision that could be a bit on the conservative, and is a bit too conservative. Like you were saying now, just before you were talking to me, a woman that's on the pill now, they've five hundred to twelve hundred women in one million women have a chance of getting a blood clot. That's in comparison to between four and ten people per one million who get this AstraZeneca vaccine can get a blood clot. So I'm just trying to comprehend why the hell are you keep you keep saying that oh it's very, very rare and that the the side effects like blood clots are extremely rare. Mm. But why are you suspending the vaccine then? It just for me it's a bit too cautious and I think it's gonna slow our entire vaccination rollout program and especially for us college students we've been completely forgotten in this pandemic. And for me, I'm lucky that I got my first dose just in time. Mm. But there's a lot of college students now that could have relied on this AstraZeneca vaccine to get them back to college and now are going to be waiting even longer. Mm. And I think it just comes back to the fact that we put our eggs in one basket just waiting to secure more uh, AstraZeneca vaccine supplies where we could have secured deals with Sputnik in Russia when they offered us, they actually offered us um, vaccines and the Irish government refused. So, like, how can you explain that to people? How can you tell people, oh, I'm not going to get a vaccine just because it's from Russia? It's, yeah. For me, it's beyond incomprehensible. P- it's just Professor Butler, um, Atkan, Professor Butler from uh, NIAC, the Immunization Advisory Committee, I don't have the clip to hand, but, but she said that if it wasn't for the fact that we have other vaccines available to us, and in fact, We'll have another one by the back end of this month in, in the form of Johnson & Johnson. If we didn't have others available, we wouldn't do this, is effectively yeah. what she said. Yeah, I can see what she's saying. But then again, for, I think it was on the news there, um, 800,000 AstraZeneca vaccine doses are due to arrive in Ireland. Like, we are, we're all intelligent and sane people, and we all know there's not 800,000 60 to 69-year-olds that will get that vaccine. There's a lot less than that. So what I'm trying to say and what the government need to do, they need to start thinking about the Sputnik vaccine and other vaccines and try and secure supplies because for the last month and a half now, the EMA has said they're waiting to approve the Sputnik vaccine. What's the hold-up? I, yeah. don't, I don't understand the hold-up. I think, yeah. as I said again, it's all down to geopolitics. And if well, this you, vaccine, you might well be right there because if you look at it, Johnson & Johnson was licensed in America, I think either pre-Christmas or pretty much Stevens's Day or thereabouts, licensed yeah. for America. And they were starting to dole it out over there. Even though on this side of the world, we knew in our hearts and souls that Europe would license Johnson & Johnson, they still waited until the middle of March to do it. It's just, it's such, it's these delays caused then trust issues with the vaccine. And I, I was talking to my parents, no, actually one of my parents this morning now. If, if I hear a lot of people using bogus arguments like, oh, I wouldn't take that Russian vaccine if that vaccine was approved. I'd be scared of what they put in that vaccine. But I was saying to my parents then, think about the Pfizer vaccine now. Trump was the president when the Pfizer vaccine was approved in America. Why Why the hell, if you don't trust the Russian vaccine, why would you trust a vaccine made in, a, in, a, in America under a Trump presidency? You, you can probably find something or somebody that you don't like connected to the licensing of every vaccine ever invented. Attic and good man, and I hope to goodness that you do get your second dose. According to this, you will, uh, but it'll take a little longer than the plan. But after about eight to twelve weeks, you 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 will have 
enough immunity to get you along, as it were, until the second time. So I wish you, I wish you well with it. Good lad. At that again. 1850-715-996. In his category, he has a thing called Edison's disease. It makes him vulnerable. And he got his vaccine two weeks ago, his first dose. He, if, if I'm reading correctly what's coming out of the diac, he will get his second dose. He absolutely will get his second dose. And people like, there are some healthcare professionals, some social workers, some therapists or other, they got the first dose of AstraZeneca and they will wait tw- uh, 16 weeks now instead of 12. That, that seems to be where it's going. In terms of side effects and the everyday side effects, this is an interesting clip from the, from the Neffert briefing yesterday. This is Dr. Neve O'Connell. She's a consultant Hematologist, You might remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking here with Dr. Beth Brint at UCC and asking her about what some people were relaying to us in comments that, well, I got my vaccine and the following day I felt like I had the worst hangover in years, but now I'm grand. Apparently that's very, very normal, was what Dr. Brint said at the time. And Dr. Neve O'Connell uh, said this, said that too last night at the Neffet briefing. It is not uncommon for people to have mild headache, mild aches and pains, mild fever and fatigue in the first 72 hours after having any vaccine and people should not be concerned about that. They can manage that in the usual way, maybe taking some paracetamol at home. I think what we're really uh, asking people just to be aware of is that they have persistent or severe headache that in particular occurs from day four onwards, from day four up to day 28, but particularly in the first two weeks after uh, the vaccine. If they have symptoms like that, uh, they should either seek the assistance of their general practitioner or if the symptoms are more severe or they're more unwell, obviously their local emergency department. It's not to say that those symptoms are always caused by this rare adverse reaction. That's, that's really quite uncommon, but they do need to be looked into and some uh, evaluation in either the GP practice or the hospital setting would be needed. That's very clear. If you're feeling a bit off the day after uh, you, you get a jab, then that's perfectly normal, particularly with this AstraZeneca one. My own mom has had her two doses of Pfizer now. And on the second, on the day after the second one, her joints were playing up. Uh, she felt a bit crocked in her joints, but that all passed as well. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's normal, you know. It's your immune system saying, hang on a second, watch this. And then it calms down a bit. 1850-715-996. Yeah, I've got that Karina Butler audio. I'll play it for you in a wee while. 1850-715-996. Nina says, on the 2nd of April, this is interesting, on the 2nd of April, the Irish government voted in the EU to give away 3 million Pfizer doses from common EU supply to five other countries. At that time, 4% of the Irish population was fully vaccinated and we're in the strictest and longest lockdown in Europe for almost half a year now. Well, that's not true, but we'll leave that go. It's not the strictest by any manner of means. We were told by some pe- that the same people who decided to give away Pfizer that the vaccine will help us, or we can be out of lockdown as soon as the population is vaccinated. Today, it turned out AstraZeneca can't be given to people over under 60. The Irish people are vaccinated basically with those two types. So the only two we'll be able to use now will be Pfizer, which we're donating to other countries. Uh, seemingly the Irish economy doesn't need to reopen as soon as possible and people don't need to live free lives again as soon as possible. Ireland should fight for every single dose and not donate it. Well, Nina, the thing about donating it, uh, we do have a duty as well to the parts of the world 
that don't have the ability, like the EU, a big, wealthy conglomeration of countries, to buy it. Like parts of the third world don't have the financial ability to buy large amounts of vaccines. So the EU as part of, I think they call it, what did they call it? It's called, it's it's a international movement backed by the WHO to, to donate, donate some vaccine to countries who can't afford to buy it for themselves. It has a name, I can't quite, COVAX, thank you, COVAX. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. So that's kind of part of what we're doing as decent people, who who've got more money and more more resources, uh, share it out with those who haven't it. Because do we really want to have all of us, grand and vaccinated up the wazoo, and we all want our vaccines, and then have half of the other part of the world, half of the third world, still rampant with COVID because they haven't got vaccines, they can't afford them. 1850-715-996, this other message comes in, whatever brain box sent this in. Uh, this government has no interest in the Irish people's health and never had. If they advise you to take it, don't. Okay. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. For someone, for example, who is 60 years of age, you are 85 times more likely to die from COVID than to have a clotting event and in that we encountered, we included all of the ones that had been reported to the EMA. So still telling us effectively that this vaccine is, is very safe. In the vast, 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 vast majority of our arms, it is very, very safe. But for now, they have taken it off the table for anybody under the age of 60. And remember, anybody over the age of 70 isn't getting it anyway. So there's that 10-year cohort. Will it slow down the rollout of it to the rest of us? Well, when you look at it, there's 850,000 doses of Astra to come this quarter. Uh, There's 650,000 doses of J&J to come this quarter. So if everybody who was going to get Astra now gets J&J, that's 150,000 doses short. So do we need to start looking for more of the others? I think we do. Whether we can... I don't know. should mention also, uh, Mark Ryan was on with us earlier in the month. Mark has a very severe illness that affects his body's ability to absorb oxygen. Uh, so his oxygen levels drop like it's stone uh, from time to time. His ability of his lungs to pass the oxygen into his bloodstream is compromised by this illness that he has. Uh, um, he has been called for his first dose of vaccine. I'm wondering now that he has been called for his first dose of AstraZeneca. Will he get it? Because uh, was it Elaine was on there asking is the clinic at Parky Cueve open today? Uh, and if not, why not? Well, if it's giving out AstraZeneca they are down there today, then it won't be open. 
because as of today, any clinics giving out AstraZeneca to the under 60s are cancelled. Uh, that was the decision made last night, cancelled until further notice, I guess, or cancelled until there's a, a, a different arrangement in place. But that will be the reason for that. I hope Mark will get his dose now. Uh, maybe he's getting one of the other ones, maybe he's getting Pfizer. Anyway, good luck to Mark. 1850 The schools are back. They went back yesterday. They're all back now. All back. Everybody's back. Uh, particularly all of secondary school because up until the last cohort, it was just the primaries and the leaving certs who were back. Aaron Wolf, principal at Cloyster Eamon Reish in Deer Park. Aaron, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are we doing? Good. Everything back to normal or as normal we as we can be? It is like we never left at this stage. It's brilliant. It's fantastic now to get everyone back again. Yeah. And, what yeah, kind of preparations of have you had to do this time? Well, we were lucky, I suppose, that September gave us a good run at reopening a school. So this reopening hasn't been as difficult. Um, we're just ordering, you know, hand sanitizer, masks, informing parents, informing students of, you know, good hand hygiene, social distancing. But, you know, we've been through it all in September, so it was, it was much easier. Mm. Um, one extra thing we had to do this time round was every student had to uh, give a return to school form. Um, just to kind of say that they don't have any symptoms or they haven't had any symptoms in the last so many days or so. Um, so that was a bit of an administrative um, nightmare because the, the forms go out uh, electronically and then we had to kind of tick people off the list as they came into the building. So we had our year heads positioned all the entrances and yesterday it was a kind of, uh, if you're not on the list, you're not coming in. But um, everyone was on the list and uh, it was great. We had a great day. Then we had a big kind of celebration here as well, uh, sort of welcoming them back. Um, every student was given a full Irish breakfast. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> I loved, I wish I could go back to school and go there right now. <laughs> I tell you. Well, we always think, you know, in this school that um, it's important that there's something going on that gives students an extra bit of an incentive to come yeah. in, you know. Uh, it can't just all be about the, the English, Irish and maths. There needs to be something else extra mm. running alongside it just to lift spirits. So the, the, the fry yesterday was fantastic. And uh, yeah, they, we fed about um, 400 students sausages, bacon, pudding, the whole lot and that was catered by O'Croolies so ah, No better, fantastic. no better Ah, oh, fantastic, well, we're very local. lucky with them they do yeah. our school lunches anyway so we'd have a catering staff in here and every student gets free lunch every day anyway I love it um, so it was great, but the fry yesterday was great. It was great fun, but as if we didn't have enough to be doing, let alone. <laughs> ah, but you know what? It's those little things. How long are we saying here in the opinion? Are, take a bit of joy from little things. And that was just joy from little things. But for the, the students coming back, what's, what's your sense of the main reason they're happy, assuming they, that they are? What's, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is making them happy about being back? It's not just getting well, back to the books and the bureaus, I guess. But that is brilliant what you're saying, because what we always say is happiness. That's what, you know, as long as the student is happy, you know, that happiness is the main thing for them. And yesterday, myself and Mr. Barry, the deputy principal, we were on the gate, so we meet every student in the morning. And that's the question we asked, and are you happy to be back? And every single one of them said yes. Even though the, the, the students that, you know, they, they could break your heart some days, but they said they're delighted to be back mm. because they love, for, some of them said, Jesus, just something to do. So yeah. they love getting back into the routine. But it's great to see their friends again. And um, what was wonderful in the school yesterday was the laughter from all the students. You know, out in the yard, they were having good fun. It's great to hear children laughing again. Um, 
even again going back to the fry that's the, 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 the fun the crack around the place yesterday it was great and I think that's what's really been missing is that social aspect of schooling they need it's fine doing it online but you need to be, meet face to face and they need to have a laugh and the crack and you know a bit of gossip and all that, that that's, what we're, that's what schools are all about and isn't it great uh, now as well Aaron you mentioned the yard and the weather is improving and we now know the science is now there that the yard and the break time and just moving around in the outside of the college, like, it is so, so much safer than, oh, we, thought, than was, we even thought. Yeah, and that, that's, I mean, this year we put up a big shelter outside in the yard, so we kind of made one of these outdoor classrooms, because we were always like, get them out. And it was fine in, in September, October, as the weather got worse um, last year, as it got colder, it became very difficult. Like the buildings were freezing because you have to keep the windows open, and as a good breeze comes through this building. Um, but thank God we didn't open in January because it would have been so cold. And we had bought these little kind of bobble hats. We were saying to everyone, "You can wear the bobble hat in class because it was so <laughs> cold." Um, things oh, like this, like, and I love the way you do things over there. I really do. Bobble, oh, bobble hats and breakfast. I love well, it. I, I, I send you over a bobble hat there because they're not needed now. So if you do we, that. I will wear it with pride and we'll put the picture on social media. Oh, well, I'll send it over straight away now. With, uh, with, with, with you might stick a fry in with it, will you? Exactly. The fry yesterday was... It was brilliant. We, they, the lads here and the girls, uh, they were promised a uh, Christmas feast. We do a Christmas feast every year. So that we, we felt we couldn't go ahead with COVID with the Christmas feast this year. You know, It wasn't safe to keep them all together. So we had the idea of the breakfast that we could serve. But then that didn't happen. So we felt, you know, they need... Mm. And we did even, like, we're, geez, I know it sounds all, all to do with food. When the six years came back, um, and we brought the fifth years back, we, we gave them their pizza parties. Love so, <laughs> but um, if anyone has any ideas of what we could do that doesn't involve food, mm. but it's very hard in COVID to give them a treat. So we met the student council this morning, and they were talking about they'd love to have a sports day. But, like, we can't, we're just looking at how we can how we could organise a sports day this year it's going to be hard times. Un, un, unless there's something happens towards middle of May it's, it's, it's very hard just in terms of looking ahead to the weeks uh, in front of us Aaron obviously look all the, the, the positivity is great and very very important but what about the risk I mean if I, you must I suppose live in dread of, of an outbreak oh absolutely I mean my worry was over the orals that if you got well, last week we held the the Irish orals and the French orals. My fear was always, what if at the end of the process one of the six years had COVID and you had to go in contact then, like the examiner, if they passed it on to the, the examiner and the examiner passed it on to the whole year group, that was my fear. So we were very anxious um, during the orals. Um, we've been lucky in this school actually that any case we've had hasn't there, there's been no concentration people have seemed to have got it during the holidays so we've had no we have had confirmed cases but um, we've always been told no they mm. didn't get it in school and they weren't actually even in school when they were contagious mm. so for that respect I've been extremely lucky yeah. I've heard nightmare scenarios from other schools where and, 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 and here's hoping that continues lastly in brief Aaron I'm not too sure that, that you can comment on this but I'll put it to you anyway. I saw an email last night from another school which I won't name an email to a parent in the school so I know it exists where the school have said that they will close a week early for the summer holidays in order to allow time for teachers to do calculated and accredited oh, grades yeah, that's, 
that that was part of the that was part of the agreement that that's a national agreement when um, when they brokered that we would do accredited grades schools are closing on the 28th of May mm. um, as because opposed to the 4th of June isn't it as opposed to the 4th of June now you could look at that as another way of it's ensuring in my mind it's ensuring that the leaving search students can sort of isolate themselves before the June exams start it buys them a time that they're not in the class together they've gone home they're at home studying, isolating. It will ensure that when they come in for their first exams on the 9th of June, they won't have... Um, I got they, you. They, there'll be no risk of them catching COVID. So that's my sort of conspiracy theory of why it's there. But it, it is to allow teachers as well the time. And, and the, it, it's a huge process, the calculated grades. And, you know, mm. teacher bashing season was last week. Um and, you know, the, the in, in some sectors, in. it's not gone, Aaron, but I, I know what you're getting at. We might talk about that a bit more closer to time, but that's that's across the board. Just oh, the, the every every secondary school, so not primary. Secondary schools are all finished on the 28th of May. So what we're all gearing up for now, we have summer exams coming up that start on the 4th of May. We're going to run a kind of in-house junior certificate or junior cycle exams for two weeks. They start on the 4th of May as well. Um, so, it's, you know, we're back to the business school, but there's a lot going on in schools assessment-wise because you're, you're still trying to assess your students and make sure that next year, you know, let's focus on next year, that we're we are, we are up and running and we're able to give a good stab at all the okay. state exams. Here's, here's hoping that everything happens smoothly over the next couple of weeks and months. Aaron Wolf, Principal of uh, the Clash de Aim on Riche, Deer Park, CBS. Yeah, that's I saw that email last night and the person who showed it to me said, come here, what's happening? Well, all of them are now closing 28th of May as opposed to the 4th of June to allow for the accredited grade, accredited grade system. You mightn't like that, but that's just 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 how it is. 1850-715-996. Interesting vote at Cork City Council last evening uh, to rename Anglesey Street as McSweeney Street. And it'll happen with public consultation, I think, over the next few months. It's home to our major Garda headquarters, to our courthouse, to our fire brigade headquarters, and, of course, main entrance to the City Hall. It'll now be McSweeney Street, Garda Station, McSweeney Street, Fire Station. That's assuming that all this goes through. Councillor Kenneth Collins of Sinn Féin. Ken, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How Quick are you? question for you. Don't we already have a Terence McSweeney key? We do, just to the front of um, City Hall, but this is where, I suppose, where um, Terence McSweeney was arrested and brought out back, back in the day and brought to Victorian barracks, uh, no Collins' barracks. So I suppose we were approached by a member of the public um, and he, he, he asked, what would you think of it? And I said, look... I represent the people of Cork, and if it's an idea, and Cork City Council will run with it. So we put myself and Councillor Henry Krem put the motion to Council, and it went through the, the process, and last night it went to a vote, and it was unanimously passed. Mm. And it's, it's more in, in, to do with the family rather than Terence itself, but it's, you know... Uh, so I take it he'll still have his own key, as it were? He'll have his own key, yes. Right, yes. so there'll be but, McSweeney Street, and then Terence McSweeney Key... That's correct. Adjacent to honour, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose if we call it like Shroud, Nesvid, Knock, Diplom, Vic, 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 Vic Srivner or something. Miss Sweeney oh, is yeah. easier to say. Yeah, yeah. Shroud, Vic Srivner. Yeah. So, what's the next step in the process, Ken? 
it's, it's probably going to go to public consultation now, and if that passes and there's very little objections to it, it will come back to us, and then the process will take place. It has to take place in the first three months of the year, so we're gone past that now. So it will not happen till the first, probably the first week in January of next year, if all everything passes through the process, like you know. Oh, so it can't just be right. So, so there's no way that the name will change this year. Yes, it'll be uh, within the first three months of next year. Then, how much will it all cost to change the name? I don't know how much that is. I don't have the answer to that. But I suppose, look, it'll be a nameplate, probably a QR code on the nameplate, and down to the Gardaí Con and the court service to change their, their address on their paperwork maybe mm. okay. you know and look it, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic it's great because it's all about his sisters that were, that were by his side while he was on home yes. strike as well yes, of and his brother Sean you know but also an activist but you know it's about the family and it's all about the family when you have one person to the forefront you have that family behind you all the time that is supportive and you know, they were with him when when he died in Brixton Prison, yeah. and you know, it's it's about them as well, and it's it's, it's great, it's great for the city as well yeah. because he is one of our our, our city's fathers. That's everybody. Yeah, without a doubt, one, one of the most know. important names ever associated with the history of our city. Councillor Ken Collins of Sinn Féin, thank you very much. The proposal so passed in a vote last night to rename Anglesey Street as McSweeney Street or Shroud Vixivna. How do you feel about it? I'd like to know. Opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, do not forget we put our podcast up in early afternoon every day. And then, of course, the overnight repeat between 3 and 5 a.m., kind of a squashed down version of the show. And many people listen to that in different parts of the world because of time zones and all that and of course we get thousands of people every day downloading and taking our podcast which is available on all platforms and of course the Cork's 96FM phone app and available to you in the afternoon and it is a freebie 1850 I'm going to come back to the AstraZeneca vaccine in a wee while I'm going to be speaking with Professor Liam Fenning from UCC who's concerned about where we're headed with this discussion uh, and that a lot of people are now going to lose confidence in what is effectively a very, very safe vaccine. Tens of millions, 20 or 30 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine now given out around the world and only a mere handful of serious uh, serious re- repercussions for certain people. A terrible thing when you, if you get sick as a result of the vaccine. That's nothing to be sniffed at. But Professor Fanning will be talking to me a little bit later on about why he thinks people are going to quite wrongly lose confidence in, in the vaccine. Uh, as regards Parky Quive, we've been doing some legwork on that. Uh, the uh, the um, Executive Research Desk has been beavering away to find out what's happening with Parky Quive. But 
as far as we know, if you were supposed to go to Parky Cueve today for an AstraZeneca jab, you won't be going because it ain't on. They're not giving out any AstraZeneca as of last evening, except to those who are between 60 and 69 years of age. That's all coming on the opinion line. But first of all, I have to say, this is one of the most unusual names I've ever seen on a Facebook page. It's a Facebook page that is for people who are trying to get themselves established in online dating or who've had a bad experience in online dating or who are a little bit doubtful about whether it's worth getting into online dating. Because look, with life being as it is at the moment, well, the pubs are closed, the nightclubs are closed and so many more places where you'd meet somebody are closed. Online has become... Uh, really important for people who are trying to stay in the dating game. Tinder Slayer Boss Lady Spy is the name of the Facebook page. And the aforementioned Tinder Slayer Boss Lady Spy is Alexandra Saffer, who joins me from the UK. Alexandra, good morning. Good morning. I love the name. Where does it come from? Uh, well, uh, there's a famous book in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I yes. think it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to come up with a bit of a, a name that indicated what the great was about, but referencing the original, I think, dating app um, of our time, Tinder. Yeah. Could you get a bit closer to your phone there, if you would, Alexander, please? Yeah, can you hear me? That's a bit better, yeah. yeah. So this is for anyone who has currently involved in online dating or has survived, as you say, the shark-infested water. Have you discovered that more people, fellas particular... In particular, do they lie on dating apps more than we think? Uh, yeah, I would say so. It's, it's obviously a bit biased because I'm female and it's men that I was talking to. Um, but yeah, definitely more than in everyday life of meeting people out and about. Mm. Like there's liars down the boozer as well, but they do it more online, do they? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like the keyboard warrior effect. So it's the hiding behind a profile. So, you know, you do not know who you're talking to, really, until you, you check. Mm. You wanted to be sure yourself about guys you were meeting online. That's where all this started from. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I, I didn't enter into online dating with any ambitions to become a detective. I literally thought, you know, I've got one night of the weekend, one night in the week to go to the gym, to go on dates. I'm in with the, the children. I'm at work all day, so online dating is the way for me. I just didn't realise how many fake profiles or married men, um, spoken for men I was going to meet. Mm. What kind of things did you come across? Um, I came across people who were using other people's photographs, um, old photographs particularly. That was you know, one of the reasons why I'd look on social media. Um, obviously lies, either nothing in the bio or lies couple of times when I looked at people's phone numbers once I was WhatsApping them, um, I'd find that the phone number linked to someone completely different or I'd see, you know, engagement photos. The worst one was that him and his girlfriend had just had a baby. Um, so kind of double lives going on, really. For fellas listening, um, what is it like being, being a woman dating online? We know just how dangerous the real world can be for women these days. Uh, we, yeah. we, you know, but but the online world can be very, very dangerous. What, what's it like? Um, well, it starts off looking kind of really positive with lots of options as you swipe through or you, you look at your inbox. 
But then you sort of become worn down by it. You can become worn down by it if you don't change your strategy. So you sort of got to go into it thinking there's going to be a needle in a haystack here. You know, there are going to be a few good guys there, but you know that you have to go through the volumes of matches and a bit of questioning and a bit of checking. And it, it shouldn't really feel like that, I don't think. Um, so that was my experience. And you have to um, allow kind of 60% for BS, I'd say. So I wouldn't take someone at their word. And it's not a trust issue. It was just experience taught me that. Do, do you have to treat everyone with a certain level of distrust until you can until their yeah. trust is proven? Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, a lot of fellas wouldn't understand, I guess, what it's like to be in a woman's position like that. Um, how, how long did it take you to find someone who was genuine? Um, I found a couple of genuine people along the way. But then again, I adapted my strategy so that if on a child-free weekend night, I might have potentially arranged to meet three different people on dates because by the time we got to that day, one of them would have blocked me because presumably they had other things going on. Another one would maybe just not answer on the day about the date. Um, and over the three and a bit years that I was using dating sites, you know, I'd say there was a couple of genuine guys and the, the person that I met in the end um, was someone in real life, but we did speak on a dating app. Mm-hmm. I, trying to weed out the wheat from the chaff, as it were, is that dispiriting? <laughs> Yeah, I think, to be honest, though, like I, I, the way I've taken it is, OK, I've got a new skill now. Or I've been able to use something that I was quite good at and develop it. And I've sort of made a lot of people laugh along the way. So I used to share my findings on my Facebook profile um, and people used to, um, you know, comment and then ask for tips. So it, it was a journey. It was a journey, mm. but certainly not one. I thought I was just going to meet Mr. Wright. <laughs> yeah. Did you eventually meet him online? Well, like I said, I'd met him in person, but we did speak on a dating app. So, right, right. No, you like, but you was that before or after that you like you spoke to him on the dating app? But did you? Yeah, meet it was a, a bit of a funny one. I met him um, at something that one of the classes that my children went to, and he spotted that I was on Bumble, um, and then put himself on Bumble to, to speak to me. He ah. already spoke to me, but um, he knew I used that dating app. So right. Quite, quite um, an innovative idea of him. So maybe he didn't have the courage to to ask you out face to face, but he tried online. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just got mm. chatting. It was easier to speak, I suppose, when you're not kind of he's not at work and I'm not there with yeah. my kids. It's very professional of him. Yeah. So, what should someone uh, be looking out for? There are a couple of things to be looking out for that you know to avoid disappointment or worse. Yeah. Um, so you basically need to look at the pictures and see. Sometimes they'll be random as well, not the same person. So is it the same person? Um, is it a per- picture of just them rather than them and all the friends? Because that, that makes it even harder. And then as, as quickly as possible, I'd want to be looking for any clues in the photo or obviously move to messaging um, so that you can look at the person's WhatsApp photograph these days. You used to be able to put the phone number into Facebook. That's my first step really is just to sort of check that they are who they say they are if they've mentioned that they work somewhere in particular and obviously you can do a search on LinkedIn if they're on there it just verifies that you're not having your time wasted um, it sounds a little bit like hard work but to be honest it depends on how much you value your time so that would be my tip mm. like photographs you can put any photograph you want really into a, into a profile can't you yeah, you can. I mean, with Tinder and Bumble and a few of the others and Hinge, I think, they link through your Facebook. 
So the person would have uploaded some photos on Facebook and then it would kind of choose them from there. But there's ways around that. If people want to use fake ones, they just put a private album on that nobody else can see on their own Facebook or they set a different Facebook up. Mm. Yeah, so, because that devilishly good-looking lad with the slick back hair and the chiselled features, like those features might have been chiselled out in in 1985 and, and you know <laughs> Well I did, I did go on a date with someone in the early did days you? This was lovely And but when I got there I looked and I thought yeah, your photo was from a long time ago and that's fine and we had a lovely time but it, it was a bit like false advertising but I also think that it's really difficult photos are only, they just capture literally a snapshot you can't see someone's expressions you can't tell what someone's personality is like so I think like people have been doing FaceTime in some of my single friends during lockdown and that's not something I thought of but I think that's a good idea as well because that's quite difficult to fake. Yeah. So bring me to the Facebook group. Uh, how yeah. does it work? People join and they share, do they share experiences? Yeah, I mean I started the group when I was still single and then it's had a bit of a quiet period while I've not been single but I have got friends who I help so every now and again I'll go in and share a tip. And then recently, obviously, with the article being published, there's been a big influx of people joining. So there's things happening. I'm going to go live in the group tonight at 9.15 and welcome the new members. People are going to be sharing, as they have done, screenshots of messages or um, profiles that they found to be fake and sharing how they've used the tips or their experiences. And it's literally just to help other women be able to suss out fakes and not have the time wasted. Mm. Like you got what two hundred and nearly two hundred and fifty members as of today, uh, and it, it's you 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 sift out very carefully who you admit. It's it's not <laughs> all and sundry yeah. get in there, do you know. Yeah, no. To be fair, there was hundreds of join requests this weekend, um, and I was sat in the outside hospital waiting for my appointment, going in just checking because there's answers to be asked. But I'll have a look at the profiles obviously, um, and look at what's been said on their profiles rather than just their request to join because it is a circle of trust. Um, there's, there's nothing kind of groundbreaking, but you wouldn't want to be sharing information and then find that that's being leaked outside the group. Mm. Can you catch out women as well? I mean, are women more honest in their online dating? Like, It's not just all men who are... Uh, it, love it, rats, is it? No, no, it's definitely not all men. And I think that the, the the sad thing is that a lot of the more genuine men kind of know of this and they don't even venture into online dating. So then you're missing out. Like, they're not being represented well at all in terms of, of what matches there might be. I'm pretty sure that some women have lied. I know for a fact that there's a thing of women using, say, filters on the photos or old photos. In terms of being cheap, um, I, you know, I'd, I've not come across that because of my search has been limited to, to male profiles and I've not come across that at all. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, human nature is that it's not limited to one gender. I can only support people from my own experience. Mm. Yeah, and but you've got quite a, a lot of experience now in terms of online detective work and looking around people's profiles. and fun. Have you ever considered putting this into a professional <laughs> practice? Well, it's quite funny because I was only I was working part time when the, the main couple of years of the online dating was happening, um, and had my own small business. And I thought these days with the role that I do, it's full time and demanding. I just wouldn't have the time. 
Mm. What is it you do? I six just before I went for this role that I do. It really does interest me. It's always interested me. I've got a memory for names, addresses, faces, numbers. Mm. Quite, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. I mostly just love to be able to help people. Yeah. But what is it that you actually do? Um, I manage a student facing service in the university. Right. Okay. Interesting hobby, though, that you had. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, like, this, the skills that you would use day to day in your in your day job, like, do any of them apply to this, or do you just have to learn them all yourself because you wanted to? Uh, no, I think the, the natural skills of mine and the type of work that I do, you need to be observant. It's very people based, it's customer service, excellent. So, the supporting people watching interactions. I don't necessarily have to find out about people because of the environment that I'm working in. Um, but when I've had my own business, it's useful for that because you can get messed around by people no matter what the situation. So it's useful to know the background and be able to track them down if they say don't pay for something. Um, yeah, mm. I'd, I'd say it is useful. Uh, anyone could, I could train people how to do it. It's possible, you know, for that, for that to, to be the case. Mm, little business there. Remind us again, the group, and of course, people have to apply to get into it. Yeah, it's called Tinder Slayer Boss Lady Spy. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Alexandra, great <laughs> talking with you. <laughs> Thank you, and you. And good, good luck with the love life. Uh, that seems to be going fairly well now. Thanks very much. That's Andrea, Alexandra Saffer from the Facebook page, Tinder Slayer Boss Lady Spy. Protection for those in the online dating world. Thanks be to the Lord that that's not me because I wouldn't know what to do. If I had to date online tomorrow, wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know who you'd find. I mean, you know. <sighs> Don't even go there. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Bringing you all things Cork, great giveaways and the biggest tunes to race you through your afternoon. Here from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. A few comments on the renaming of Anglesey Street as Terence, or as McSweeney Street. Terence McSweeney, McSweeney Street or Shroydvik Sivda. I'm amazed to find that there's not a whole lot of love in the room for the idea. I two or three very negative comments on it. I'll get to them in, in a while. 1850-715-996. We've been trying to find out what's happening down at Parky Cueve today. Uh, we, we don't know whether there is vaccination going on at Parky Cueve or not, whether they're using Pfizer or AstraZeneca or whatever they're using. And uh, we, we got on to a doctor that we speak with regularly and he didn't know either what's going on down there, which doesn't bode well for the communication strategy of the whole thing. Martina, good morning. How are you? Good. You came all the way up from Mitchellstown. Right. He was told to go go today for his vaccine. Your husband. But he wasn't told which one. Yes, my husband. Right. 
he wasn't informed which one he was getting. Okay. So, I know the AstraZeneca, we saw that last night, that the AstraZeneca was being cancelled today, mm. but we didn't know he was going getting that one, like. Yeah. Well, it's been cancelled for everybody under 60. What age is your husband? 63. So he should have been getting it. So, like, we couldn't take the chance this morning and not go. Yes. Yeah. And then it turned out. And when yeah. you got there, there was nothing, nothing there? No. The, we met a security man. He told us all the nurses had been sent home. Ah, for goodness And that there was nothing happening. We weren't the only ones now. I'm, I'm not... Um, there was people there from Ring and there was another man there as well. Right. An older man again, and I don't know. Like, it's ridiculous. You'd think, would you not, that the HSE would have informed news desks well, or, or issued yeah. press release of some kind? But sure, like, it's ridiculous. You're not told which one you're getting, so... Mm. How are you to know whether to go or not to go, like, when they do cancel something? So yes. They must make it clearer, like... Yeah. And moreover, to have you drive up from Mitchellstown? Yeah. Well, what about the Prodiver from Ring of Skitty then, as well? Yeah. And that was at half past seven, half past eight this morning. Yeah. They had to be there. You know, so... How, how, oh, how, you, you, I, you sound very I was, cross, Martina, I don't blame frustrated, you. Frustrated, frustrated, yeah. because I was never in pack of grief in my life. <laughs> really? And I had to try and find us with it, like. <laughs> a cork woman who's never the, been to Parky Cueve. You're spot on. Never been, and now he hasn't either. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> you're a bit of a rarity, do you know that? <laughs> never been to a yeah. match there, never been to a nope. concert there. Nope. <laughs> no. So, no, no, it's a bit stressful. It is. It is. No, and seriously, then, it is. And then you had the tunnel this morning as well, stressful oh, as well, oh, you know. Yeah, oh. no, yeah. So he has no idea now, and I'm not going nope. to ask you your age, but are, are you in line I'm for... I'm under a, 60. You're under 60. So yeah. you're in line for the vaccine reasonably yep. soon, I would hope. Well, you wouldn't sure. No one knows, do they? That's the problem. That's the Nobody problem. knows, do they? Right, Martina, thank you very much for the call. 1850 So there seems to be nothing doing at Parky Cueve this morning. Well, look, if... Nyack said last evening that other than the 60s to 69s, the AstraZeneca would stop. And the clinics scheduled for today that were to give out AstraZeneca's would stop. That, that's all right. The way they told people. Like, if there wasn't going to be a clinic at Parky Cueve today, they might have told people. Or is that too much to expect? They might have picked up the phone or issued a press release. Do you know? They'd issue a press release if it was a nice, handy bit of news. But not when they're... Ah... 1850-715-996. Now, we're following the developments with interest. We're being told, look, this thing is safe. Nyack have said that for now we're only going to give it to those aged between 60 and 69 but that it is safe. Let's remind ourselves again of what Dr. Ronan Glynn said. With When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Regard to AstraZeneca for those who will now be offered it. What they're being offered is a very safe, very effective vaccine for their age cohort. Uh, and as we've shown, the risks to them of contracting COVID-19, ending up in critical care, ending up, in, uh, end, in, ending up dying as a result of that disease are far, far, far higher uh, than any potential risk from receipt of one of these vaccines. Professor Liam Fanning is Professor of Immunovirology at UCC and joins me now. Professor, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. You're concerned that this will undermine confidence in the vaccine. And like we've got, what, 30 million doses of AZ given out around the world now and less than 100 adverse reactions. Are we or are, are the authorities overreacting a bit? Um, so to your first point about the possibility for undermining confidence in uh, vaccines, look, I think there's been an assumption uh, all along that everybody's going to fight their way to the top of the queue to get this vaccine. And that is true for a lot of individuals. But what we're seeing now, even in America, is that they now have surplus vaccines because they've got the low-hanging fruit of the, all those individuals who are fighting to get it. And now they're having that journey to take where they're going to have to convince people that this is actually worthwhile for themselves and a societal perspective. And what's going to impact on that is, A, the public perception of the safety of this particular new product. Remember, it's under emergency authorization. Um, that's one aspect of it. Um, and then the anecdotal stories that they're going to hear from people and maybe perhaps on the internet of uh, untruth stories about some of the side effects. So what we have here, I think, is a NIAC, the organisation, is given responsibility by the government for advising it, um, uh, taking a, an adverse, sorry, a risk-adverse approach to this um, medicine. It is a new medicine, so what they've decided that four to ten out of a million adverse events is too high for this particular medicine to be given uh, to people under 60. So really, it's rather unusual. You have a vaccine that's really only eligible for uh, a 10-year decade from 60 to 70, as you said in the intro. Mm. So all this will start to raise questions in the public's mind. And one of the things about these questions is there are alternatives to AstraZeneca. You know, I mean, I know uh, Minister Donnelly said um, that nobody will be given a choice um, and that this is a safe vaccine. Um, but the messaging that's going to come out as a result of this stop start with AstraZeneca is going to undermine confidence. People are nervous. They're mindful of their own health. But the risk from getting an adverse event when you take up COVID-19 infection is quite substantial mm. as well. Mm. So, so it's, it's out of an abundance of caution, 
But, you know, the collateral damage or the, the unintended consequences of this abundance of caution could be our perception that, um, look, this medicine may not be as safe as uh, I want it to be. We don't live in a risk-free environment, PJ. So, you know, everything is with risk. You know, many individuals or female individuals are on the pill. There's a risk whether people acknowledge it or know it of clots on, um, mm. you know, the so, you know, it's about a balance of risk. And I think time needs to be given to people to digest what has been said. So when you come for your vaccine, it's a bit like a, a conveyor belt. You arrive, you present your details, your, present, your needle is presented to you, you're asked, sorry, you're asked for a few details, your needle is presented to you, you're vaccinated and you're told to wait 15 minutes. I think there's going to need to be some element of actually giving patients time to understand the relative risk of COVID versus the relative risk of an adverse event from the vaccine. And that may mean that the HSC or Department of Health has to set up a helpline for someone to ring and say, look, I'm due my AstraZeneca vaccine or I'm due my Pfizer or whatever vaccine I'm going to get. Can you talk me through the risks and explain to me and put them in perspective mm. and in a language that I understand? You know, there's, you know um, there are so many different levels of people's understanding awareness and language competency. You know, maybe this message needs to be given in Polish, you know, whatever other languages are within our nation at this moment. Yeah. Um, to bring it into their language so that they understand fully and that when they come to get their vaccine, it is informed consent. Yeah, I was talking to a young man on the shore earlier on this morning, Professor Atacan, and he had his, he's in a vulnerable group, he has Edison's disease, and he had his first vaccine two weeks ago today, AstraZeneca. And he told me that when he went into the clinic, the nurse sat him down, couldn't have more more informative, couldn't have been clearer, put it all to him including this tiny, tiny, infinitesimally tiny risk of blood clots and, and how to look out for them. And he was quite happy to accept. Like, that's a good report, really, isn't it, as to how things are happening in the clinics? Absolutely, and I would hope everybody would get that experience. And if they're unsure, or they need that little bit extra time to absorb what has been said to them, or they may need to talk to their support person or partner or whatever, um, you know, that they're given that time. Um, and if they have concerns, um, that, okay, uh, maybe they might well say, well, okay, if you're not ready to make your mind up today and you need to absorb this at home, go home and make, sorry, make another appointment. You know, th- you know I know everybody's, uh, there's a massive rollout. We're trying to get this done as fast as possible for the obvious reasons to protect the population and protect mm. the nation. Um, but maybe some individuals just need that little bit of extra time to be reassured. It's about communication. Communicating is giving the patient time to understand, to see that, you know, if you were a young woman and you were on the pill, and mm. then you're offered this. Well, the relative risks are actually much greater on the pill than yes. you are. Or, you know, maybe, you know, you have a chance of maybe being hit by a car or hired. You know, so make it, put it into a language that people will understand and readily, yeah. you know, appreciate. How important is it, Professor, that we research the cohort? I'm going to get a small bit technical, I suppose. We research the cohort that has had the uh, adverse Reaction. So at the moment, it's a tiny cohort. It's less than 100, we think, out of all the doses given out. Mm-hmm. How important is it that we research that cohort, cohort and try to find common link, linkages between the kind of person, the general health of the person, the background of the person? How important is that so we can, if you like, microanalyze what's going wrong here? So that's already happening, PJ. There are two wonderful studies that have come out already on this. Good. One is looking at whether the spike protein that's on the outside of COVID-19, of the COVID-19 virus, 
is in some way responsible or the antibodies we, we generate cross-react with this new protein that they uh, this protein on platelets that seems to be a key uh, part of this uh, clot development and they found no reactions. This is published in the Union Journal of Medicine, a very prestigious journal, a very high impact journal. Um, and then they looked at uh, to see what was actually, already, they're already drilling down on the protein that's responsible for this. And what it appears is that some individuals are producing an antibody against the protein on a small little cell called platelets, and they're pivotal in what yes. is happening. Protein, yeah. By producing this antibody against this other protein, it's called PF4, um, and uh, then that seems to set off this unusual clotting uh, mechanism. Um, so they're already and they're starting to do some genetics to see if this autoimmune type response um, has a particular genetic signature. Now, I, I don't know if that then means the follow-on you could say to me, Peter, well, couldn't everybody be tested with this to see if they've got this particular That's genetic That's the obvious signature? question, but of course it's an, over, it's an oversimplistic one, isn't it? It's an old, well, it, it, yes, it is and it isn't. Technically, yes, it can be done. Practically, could it be done and you still roll out a vaccination program in the context of the pandemic? The answer is probably no. So, um, you know, but, you know, if people... Uh, sit down and look at the class risk and say, right, okay, I'm not willing to take that. Well, then what you'll probably have to say is when you go for your vaccination, you might be put to the end of the queue and then you come again. You could be offered AstraZeneca again or it could be the lucky dip on the day. You might get the J&J or the Pfizer and the risks are explained and you might be happy to take them. So we do have options, PJ, but, uh, you know, if you're offered a vaccine, um, you make the risk assessment based on what you understand and, you, you know, my guidance is you should take the mm. vaccine. But it's in the knowledge that, you know, no, no medicine is without risk, even Panadol. You know, um, yeah. if you read the list of, uh, you know, what can go wrong on the back of a Panadol, you might never take a Panadol. Um, so, you know, we make these risk assessments in our daily lives. Um, and like even crossing the road, we decide is it safe to go when the green man is not there. Um, and, you know, sometimes, most of the time it works out and occasionally it doesn't. So it's a bit like the same kind of risk. We wouldn't call it that in our daily lives, but that's yeah. what we're doing. We're risk assessing. And we don't live in a risky environment, but the risk of an adverse event from a COVID infection is much higher than an adverse event from the... Is, in a, and this is, I, I suppose, probably blurs the lines between a professional opinion and a personal one based on your professional expertise, Professor Fanning. Is NIAC overdoing it a little here? Well, um, you could say, okay, given the risk assessment, what they really, I suppose, NIAC, the purpose of the pause needs to be clearly communicated as to why. Okay, we understand that it, there are there have been several people that have had clots. I think you mentioned 100 PJ worldwide. Including one here in Ireland, I think. There's one moment of the matter, yeah. In one here in Ireland. That would probably fit in with the expected frequency of this within the population, given the numbers that have been given out. So um, what I suppose what they're trying to do is give themselves breathing space. So that they, you know, and, uh, and and I'm not sure how much breathing space they're going to give themselves because they've already said that they've put down, you know, uh, if you're in a particular category, you get your second shot at 12 weeks. If you're in an additional category with lower risk, you leave it and extend it to 16 weeks. So, you know, we all know from the UK that they've stretched the uh, guidance with respect to when you give the second shot. So here again, we see... Uh, uh, a change of uh, instructions to the population that we're going to stretch some of it to 16 weeks, others are going to take it for 12. This kind of, you know, mixed, uh, mixed delivery of the vaccine is only going to lead to confusion. When people are confused, the kind of the easiest thing to do is put up a brick wall and say, I'm not getting that. So um, I think they've got to be very careful with their messaging, clear, concise, rationale as to why this is happening. 
uh, look, this is all brand new medicine. And I think, you know, the population will be very forgiving if it's explained in language that can be understood, not patronising language, but just language that can be understood by everybody and um, to say, look, we're doing this out of an abundance of caution, but we don't live in a risk-free environment. And they're saying then basically it's one in a million death or four in ten events out of a million doses. Too much for us to accept yeah. as NIAC. And then we tell government, and they told government to pause. Basically what they've said at the moment is we're uncertain as to whether we can, uh, you know, allow you to use this in the population under 60. Lastly, and very briefly, Professor Fanning, before I let you go and, and go to John, who's called the opinion line with a query, a separate one. Um, if I am telephoned, now I'm not in the 60 to 69 category, but if I was telephoned and told my AstraZeneca vaccine is waiting for me tomorrow, would you go? Yes, because the risk of an adverse event and death even in that category is quite high from COVID-19. Um, and the risk of an adverse event is so small. It's, it, again, it's a balance. It's the risk versus a benefit versus risk. And in this particular case, the, 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 the weighing scales has tipped largely in favour of benefit. Okay. Because the event, we've seen the death rates amongst the 60s, 70s and 80s has been quite high. Yes. Um, so, you know, and, you know, let's face it, most people over 60 are on some medicine of some kind because they've got high blood pressure, high cholesterol or, you know, a bit of a kidney problem, whatever. So, you know, they're already preloaded with maybe a slight negative factor already. And the last thing they want is to, to end up with maybe long COVID. That's the other thing, too, of course, you see is this vaccination is going to, you know, cut down on the amount of long COVID as well. It's not about the immediate death and the illness. It's about protecting individuals against Indeed. long COVID. So. Indeed. So there are many positives to the uh, getting the vaccine. It's about understanding the risk. And, you know, if people come and present themselves and they have reasons why they don't want it, I would hope the individual who's given them the vaccine would then deliver the appropriate information to them and give them time if they need it. And that, that means going away, go away. But you do understand that if you go away, you're still at risk of infection. Yes, OK. Listen, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Pleasure to speak with you. Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC. 1850-715-996. John, before I go to a break, John, you've called the opinion line. Again, more vaccine confusion. What happened to you? Good morning. Good morning. I was uh, contacted just the afternoon. Uh, no, could I, would I be interested in getting uh, vaccinated this morning at half past nine in Parsi Kiev? Right. And I was thrilled and delighted and excited about it. And uh, I just arrived up there at about 20 past nine because we can't kind of queue up. And I was told by a security guard that there was nothing happening. Oh, for goodness so sake. I, I rang the, the hospital that had rang me and they had said that uh, 30 minutes prior to I ringing, they were contacted to say that it wasn't working. I was listening to, I was up this morning at about five o'clock, half five, you know, because I was a bit kind of concerned about it, you know, mm. with what we've had so far. And I would have been a kind of a, an advocate of the vaccine all along. Whatever happens, I'll take it. But um, unfortunately, I, if I was asked again tomorrow, I wouldn't because one thing they don't know if they did they would be convincing me that it's safe despite the reassurance we've just had there from professor fanning that's that's besides that i was listening to it and you know he made he made a reasonable kind of comment but he didn't convince me because of the way it's done you know let's give it to him let's not give it to him so I was over 60s, it's not I was over 60s, it's under 60s. You know, That's need, exactly what he was saying, they need to communicate better. 
True. I've been locked down since last March, like, you know, and we're staying up. I've been listening to these idiots that I call idiots on the streets protesting and saying that we're entitled to this. And you know what? I think the government's now starting to listen to them people more than us because they're, they're, they're helping them with their attitude. Now, I don't agree with, you know, not taking a vaccine and wearing masks. I agree, oh, sorry, I agree with wearing masks, but I don't agree with the people who, who advocated we shouldn't. Yeah, but you don't agree with the protesters who wrote on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but there's something, the government is starting to tell me, look, listen to these people. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're not giving any clear, clear message. Yeah. I try to contact the HSE for 45 minutes before I rang your programme. And I was, I must have rang, they must have rang every single phone above in Dublin. That wasn't answered. You know, like, come on. We're under pressure here. Like, people in this country are under pressure for the past 12 months, 14 months. And now the government will say, no, we don't care, really. Like, if you want to come, come. If you don't, don't. They don't care. They're starting to prove to me that they don't care anyway. And I'm fed up with it. All right, John, thank you for calling uh, the opinion on, of course, 96 FM. Again, another, this is a disgrace. Called yesterday and told... Would you, I asked, would you come for a vaccine tomorrow? Delighted to do so. Got to Parky Cueve this morning. Uh, sorry, no clinic. Called the hospital where they rang him from yesterday and said, oh yeah, we, we just got to call ourselves. Like, for the love and honour of God, how do you expect people to have confidence in a system that doesn't communicate or communicates wrongly? Trish, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How old is Connor now? Uh, Connor's eight now, believe it or not. Years are flying by. He's eight. Yeah. yeah. And, and when was he diagnosed as being on the spectrum? Um, we're far along in the journey now. So he was privately diagnosed um, when he was just around the two and a half mark. And then um, publicly so at about just coming up on four, four okay. and a bit. Okay. Okay. And how long has he needed help? <laughs> I suppose well, since the, since the, since the day he was diagnosed, but I mean, as in, yeah. you've got serious behaviour issues now, haven't you? We do, yeah. So I suppose, you know, it's all about early intervention and giving these kids what they need from an early age. And in that, you know, by doing that, you avoid the situation what we're in now. So as a result of not getting the help early on, he's developed some very challenging behaviours. And over the last, I would say, two, three years, they've been slowly escalating. But I would say in the last year, and we can blame COVID, I suppose, as well. It would have a part in it due to the upset and the in and the out and the change of routine. His behaviours have escalated um, seriously, I would say, in the last year. Right. And you're trying to get help for him? I am. I suppose we're, we're going through the roots, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, we've been engaged with the HSE through the whole thing and we've always constantly been fighting to get psychology support for him. He in he's in under the care of the HSE since he's been you could say four. Mm. Um, he's received psychology once, which is ridiculous in four years. Um, so it, it feels like a checkbox activity in that respect. They've kind of done their bit, whether it helped or not. They don't really seem to care. They move on. So I'm now trying to go to the next level because psychology doesn't seem to be what he needs. And in my opinion, he needs a little bit more. I think he needs psychiatry, which mm-hmm. is a different thing again. Yeah. And you've asked, or you tried to get him referred to CAMS? Yeah, so what we did was last summer, things were at a high point again, uh, not in a positive sense, and I reached out to my GP in desperation, I'll be honest, because it was a case of I don't know who else now to help us, we're on our own here. 
Um, my GP, who's amazing, uh, wrote a letter of referral, which is how you get into the CAM system. So that was back in July, I believe, or maybe August. And I hadn't heard anything since now. I am aware they have some very long waiting lists through nobody's fault, really only demand oversupply. So I was patient, but gotten bad there again in the last few weeks and I decided to maybe do a bit of investigation and see what's going on with his referral so um, after many phone calls of trying to track down where his referral was I managed to find out that the referral was received it was looked at by an occupational therapist in CAMS um, last September Mm. and it was rejected Um, they never sent us a letter to tell us that they never notified my GP it was a complete error on their part and they hold their hands up and say it but the problem is now since September things have escalated things have changed their file is out of date and we're left in no man's land with me doing all the hard work of trying to get this sorted Did they say why they rejected it? Yeah I found that out um, on Monday so apparently he's been rejected because Connor according to their records, is under the care of the North Lee ASD, mm-hmm. Bridgeway House, which would have been correct in September. Um, that's since changed. The North Lee don't really exist as such anymore because we're transitioning to a new service under PDS. Yes. So first of all, they're out of date. But I, like their rejection, they, first of all, they never met Connor. They never rang us. They never spoke to us. They know nothing about Connor. Their rejection was based on the fact that he should be under the care of the North Lee ASD. And in other words, it's kind of their problem. They should be dealing with it. Did, did anybody ever tell you, Trish, now it's, it's an unwritten policy, but did anyone mm. ever tell you that CAMS don't go near you if you have ASD? I, I know nothing of CAMS. Nobody's ever sat down, told me anything. You know, no, I never knew that. And to me... It makes no sense to me that anybody should be treating anybody without meeting the person in question yes, because yeah. that's not true. No, and, and I say that because I've never seen it written down, but I've spoken to so many parents who, who you know, are referred to CAMS with kids on the spectrum and, mm. and invariably they, they, yeah, they, they, they pitch it back because they don't deal with ASD. Yeah, you see, this is the other thing. Apparently, there's two sides to it, um, taking even ASD out of it, looking at intellectual disability. Yes. Right now, they're saying, so Connor has an intellectual disability, so therefore he should be seen by the team who deal with intellectual disabilities. They're refusing to have any interaction with us because Connor attends a mainstream school for the moment. Now, he will, we've waited three years to get our place and he will be going to a special school in September. And I've told them this, but they're saying no. Right now, he's mainstream, not us. So what do you do? He is, I mean, he's acting out, isn't he? It's it, like it's more that I feel sorry for him. First and foremost, this is about Connor and Connor's anxiety is through the roof. He's suffering. He doesn't know what to do. He's got communication issues. He can't tell his mommy that I feel whatever I feel. So he's suffering. He is having very aggressive and violent outbursts. So he's in danger himself. He's going to hurt himself. He's hitting me. I'll be honest. He's lashing out at mom and dad. He doesn't mean to do it. He's really upset afterwards. And he's got two younger siblings who are also in the crossfire. And that's putting it mildly. So we're in that situation on a daily basis while people are on the other side of the fence dealing with silos and paperwork and they can't talk to each other and there's waiting lists. That's all well and good. But in the day, every day today, you've got a little boy here in trouble and nobody willing to help him. And that's where I get annoyed. And who's looking after you? Because it's not easy. (laughs) No, it's not easy, um, but I come second, you know, it's it's always the kids first and nobody is looking after us. We we have no help, no support, but 
at the way I, I maybe I'm overly positive, PJ, but there's two of us. There's two parents in this. We're mm. lucky. There's parents out there on their own dealing with this with no support as well. So nobody looks after us. That's that's the honest truth. Yeah, and you lie awake worrying about what's going to happen to your little boy. It's horrible. It's you know I'm trying to get him the help, and then you have the emotional side of it where I'm thinking, right, we get the help, and what happens then? Are they going to recommend medication? Am I comfortable with that? I mean, there's a lot more to it. But right now it's firefighting. And you just it's about, need somebody to see him and tell you these things, isn't that right? I'd love for somebody to say, hey, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm here to support you. Because right now, two parents trying to get day to day, get through it and yeah. protect him. And see, I, I just want to see him smiling and happy and enjoying his childhood like other kids. But like he's entitled well, to and like you're entitled to see. Of course, yeah. And like it's just frustrating because to me, if he didn't have autism, I, I wonder, would he be seen faster? It seems to be because he, he's on the spectrum that, no, no, we can't deal with him. He has to go over here. We need this report and that report. And it's like, no, he's vulnerable. You should be looking after him. You know, he should yeah. be a priority. But no, the other way. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people will identify with that. Trish, thank you very much. I wish you well and, and uh, with, with him because it's, it's a terrible situation to be in, worried about your little lad and no one seems to be able to help or willing to. Thanks, Trish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. If you missed anything in our first two hours this morning, remember you can listen back in our podcast, which goes up mid-afternoon on all of your platforms and on the Cork's 96FM app. Just open up the app, you'll find the podcast section, and there we'll be. Uh, download it. And you can subscribe as well. You get our podcast every day, uh, free of charge. Lots and lots of people contacting the opinion line on all of our different uh, platforms to tell us how disgusted they are with the vaccine clinic situation in that the vaccine clinic that they were supposed to go through this morning, that they were booked into yesterday, didn't happen when they turned up and people had driven from the four corners of County Cork to be at Parky Creeve this morning. We've had calls from Middleton, calls from Yall, calls from West Cork, you know, who people who thought that they would be going for their vaccine today. People who were contacted yesterday and told to come for a vaccine today only to turn up this morning and find that there is no clinic. And it just occurred to me, before anyone says, ah, well, the decision was only made last to get out of it. Get out of it. There's Twitter. HSE is on Twitter. The HSE has a very, very, very well-staffed and very well-paid communications unit. Why didn't they communicate? A press release to news desks, and trust me, they have lists of them. And trust me again, if they want to contact your news desk to give you grief over something, they'll do it. Why weren't the news desks informed last night that the various clinics wouldn't happen today? Why did that not happen? Not good enough, HSE, unfortunately, and lots of listeners very, very angry and frustrated and upset this morning, headed for their vaccine and no clinic when they got there. Not good enough. 1850 715 996. Just on the renaming of 
the streets briefly. I said there wasn't a lot of love in the room for it. The plan, or the um, motion has been passed by the City Council to name or to rename Anglesey Street as we know it, uh, Terence or McSweeney Street, Shroud Vic Sivna. Terence himself will still have his key round the corner, but the street uh, will, subject to public, public consultation, be renamed as Shroud Vic Sivna or McSweeney Street. Rory says between renaming streets and digging them up so publicans can put a few tables outside, you'd never know with 600,000 people out to work and we're in the middle of an economic crisis. Also, why are we giving away so much public space to a few private businesses? And finally, is digging up Pembroke Street essential construction? Yeah, I was walking down there yesterday. I was wandering down for my bus uh, yesterday lunchtime. And Pembroke Street is up, gone. It's just lifted. Uh, but Rory wants to know, is that essential construction? Uh, if it's so easy to change a street name as opposed to something more important, like father's rights, why not name the street after someone current to support them or support a charity and put a collection box or a card swipe in? As I say, not a whole pile of love in the room for the changing of the name of Anglesey Street. 1850-715-996. Read a fascinating article by Jennifer O'Connell in the Irish Times entitled How to Build a Modern Man Helping Boys to Grow Up Happy about raising boys in a very changing world or a very much changing world. Like the world that in which I was a boy is a very different world from being a boy now. For example, the world of being a young man. I'm still a young man, don't start. But the world of being 20, 21 and 22 now is a very, very different world from when I was 20, 21 or 22. And uh, a contributor to that article was Harry McCann, who is the entrepreneur and founder of Digital Youth Council. Made a couple of very strong points, uh, Harry, particularly in relation to the Sarah Everard case. It, it kind of woke you up a bit as to as to certain things. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, look, I think I think it did, to be honest. Um, as I mentioned in the article, it's it's a conversation it started a conversation I don't think I've ever had, but I'm very glad I did. Um, I mentioned it in the piece and I've mentioned it a few times since on social media and that conversation is I'm, I'm in UCC. I live in student accommodation here and obviously I'm surrounded by guys and girls and, and we were having a conversation one time uh, a, a couple of days after the incident and I had mentioned how I like to run around the city I run around the city at about 11 or 12 o'clock at night after I've finished studying for the day and everything's done and dusted and I feel as safe as could be to be honest the city is quite a safe place in my opinion and when I run around I put my earphones in and I don't pay attention really and when I said that to the girls they all kind of laughed and said the privilege and I was kind of confused on what they meant by privilege, but they all then explained that they barely go out alone during the day by themselves, never mind at night time. You know, they'd never even consider running, never mind putting earphones in or never mind around the city. And that it was a completely different experience for them because of the experiences they've had in the past with people screaming stuff, shouting stuff, grabbing them, doing things that, to be honest, was shocking and, and quite unbelievable, but really an eye-opener. Mm. I spoke on the programme a few weeks ago, again in the wake of Sarah Everard, to young Holly. Uh, and we were chatting about that now, about being out at night. And, and something she said to me that chilled me to the bone. I'm out on my evening walk and 50 yards in front of me is a young woman, also we'll say out on her evening walk. And the sound of my footstep is enough to make her nervous. Mm. That's, that's an awful world 
for her to have to live in. Yeah, it's like I don't think it's acceptable to be honest. And this is what I what I said in the piece is that I don't think it's acceptable that half of the population should have to feel fearful about going out alone or going out alone at night. I think it's 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 sad to be honest. And I think like I got tons of messages in response to this and like girls who told me their strategies, you know, their strategies of carrying sharp earrings or carrying uh, rape alarms and all these types of things. And I just thought you know, for for me, as I said, it's, it's sad. And I, I tried to think about what I could do. And I've, I've had this conversation a few times. And, and when I run, I, I try to run out into the road if I can to avoid running up behind somebody and scaring them. I try to drag my feet a bit more to bring attention. Like there's bits and pieces. But to be honest, it doesn't feel like it's enough. And I don't think it is enough. I think there needs to be a bigger response here from men in particular. Because men, unfortunately, are the perpetrators of these crimes. Um, and very rarely the victims. While they are the victims on occasion, they rarely are the victims. And I think unfortunately as I said dragging your feet and running out of the road just isn't enough anymore mm. too many women have too many stories you know I, I think you're probably in the very same category as me Harry in that and there's quite a few years between us but at the same time you nor I nor many of us, many of us I'd suggest would ever in our wildest dreams even consider of hurting a woman yeah. yet they know because of the nature of society look at us all as potentially having that likelihood. Yeah, what, look, what, like, what has brought us to this? Yeah, look, I think there, there was a lot of conversation around the Sarah Everard case where there was, there was people saying, you know, it's not all men. And, and like, look, I think, I think everyone understands that. I think the timing that was poor. I wasn't even sense. going there, by the way. Yeah, no, no, I know, and I know that. And I think that was the conversation. I think that was unfortunate because people tried to jump on something that was a tragic case and needed its own attention. I think when we look at it, what I found, to be honest, the saddest part of, about the whole story that Jennifer wrote was when she spoke to her son and, and she spoke to her son and her daughter and she asked, her daughter what it was meant to be a woman and she said all this great things she gave all these great role models she said the same thing to her son and her son said things not to be you know not to be a sexist not to be violent not to bully not to harass or troll and I thought you know that's that's the problem here and I think while all men out there I think the majority of people are good and I think the majority of people wouldn't say or do anything or wouldn't harass a woman if they saw on the street I'd like to think most normal people wouldn't unfortunately it's just too common now and I think while all, not all men are doing it. All men have a role to make sure that when we're around certain things or around certain people. And I, I did, did say this to Jennifer. You know, I've been in situations in the past where something's been said, um, and I, I haven't called people up on it. And I think that's where the responsibility is now to really stand up and speak, and not to just stand there and be a bystander to what is often uh, abuse and harassment that is completely unacceptable. You, you talk about asking a question on Twitter of how do I make myself a better man, which, like you said, it's it's a cheesy question. Mm. But what did you mean by it? I, I, I suppose I'm frustrated a small bit and I feel a small bit powerless um, and, and I, it's something that I, I've said on a few occasions and I still haven't really got an answer. I've had a few great messages and we've had a few great conversations as a result but I just feel that running on the street or dragging my feet or, you know, walking a girl home in the evening isn't enough. I just, I feel like there should be more that I could do. And a lot of people have said that's having these conversations and, and that's what I've tried to do. And, and I, there's a lot more that can be done, but it's, it's really trying to figure out, you know, I know myself that I'd never do that. And I know myself that I'd never harass or harm another person, but there is too many people who are, and I'm a part of the gender, unfortunately, of those people who are perpetrating those crimes. So I feel like there's something more I can do. I feel like there's something I should do and I want to do. So hence the question. How do you figure out what it is, though? Who's going to tell you what it is? Who's going to help you to figure it out? 
Yeah, I, I don't know, and that's that's unfortunately that's unfortunately the question I have been trying to answer now for a few weeks. I look, I think from my point of view and from the conversations I've had, the best thing that every person can do is that if they find themselves in a situation where they see something or hear something, they need to say something. You know, they need to. You like look, we've all been in groups of guys and bars where somebody said something, or we've all been out in groups where somebody said a comment that might seem like a joke or a laugh in the moment, but unfortunately might turn into something more. So we just need to call people out on that and try to have the conversations more in spaces where there are young men and I think education for me is that the most vital part of this all is that we teach sex education in school but we rarely teach consent and we rarely teach about uh, rape and, and all those things involved so I think that's a big thing here is that we need to start at a younger age to educate young boys about this and what the men are out there now we need to have those conversations in public places like this to make sure that people hear it and understand that it's not acceptable and it's never acceptable and it's definitely not acceptable now. Thank you. You're only 22, but, you know, in, in, in years to come, uh, you, you may or may not have a son. Mm. Um, if you had a son, Harry, what kind of things would you try to instill into him from the moment he's old enough to understand? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the same thing that my parents instilled in me. I think it's to have respect for yourself and everybody else, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter if they're male, female, or whatever they might be. I think it's to show people respect, you know. And it, like if you, I think it, it just seems so basic. And I think from from my point of view, that you would tell somebody not to harm another person or not to do something like what's happening unfortunately now I, I don't know what causes people to do that but I think it's just having respect for people and understanding that everybody deserves that and you know it's not it's not acceptable to be screaming at people it's not acceptable to have these comments and stuff and I'd like to think that that's something that's happening now with a younger generation anyway but I just think there's still too many people my age and older who are unfortunately involved in this so I, I think it all comes down to this respect idea um, and then I'd, I'd hope that common sense would prevail but unfortunately it's not prevailing at the moment when I was in my 20s, where you are now, this is something that was hardly ever discussed, not just among ourselves, but would never have been discussed on the radio or on the, tele- on the television. The world has changed very much in that regard. A good thing, do you think? Almost definitely, yeah. Like th- th- this is conversation now. Like that article went out on on Saturday morning, and it, the conversation has still dragged through until Tuesday. And I hope it drags through right throughout the months and the years ahead. And I think it's an important one. And um, I think it's great that the conversation is happening. And to be honest, the, the conversation happening is a part of the solution. You know, it's people just thinking twice about it, something that they thought was once innocent. Um, and and I think that's that's great. And hopefully, it continues into schools, and hopefully, it continues into universities in particular. Universities, unfortunately, are, are a huge part of the problem and the data supports that you know there's a lot of sexual assault and harassment cases inside the universities and I know there's a lot of work now being done by Simon Harris the Minister for Further Education mm. but you know that conversation needs to happen across all sectors of society and I think ha- having it here now is fantastic and hopefully somebody wakes up and thinks you know what it shouldn't happen it won't happen again and I, I need to be more aware of what people around me are saying Okay Harry, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. That's Harry McCann, uh, the founder of the Digital Youth Council, UCC student, uh, 22 years of age, trying to make himself a better man. It's a very different world growing up to be a man now than it was when I grew up to be a man. Because no one ever talked about these things. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I'm talking about maybe even 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. We didn't talk about these things. 1857 15 
What else? Oh, yeah. John is in West Cork. My daughter went to get a vaccination this morning. Like others, I had no way of knowing if it was Astra or Pfizer. They've been aware it could come to this for weeks. They didn't make the decision either at three o'clock this yesterday afternoon. The kind of process takes 24 or 48 hours as it's all signed off. What steps were taken to notify people of exactly what was going on? I knew AstraZeneca was cancelled, but I couldn't take the chance. My daughter was missing out on Pfizer. I went out of, as John says, an abundance of caution. The communication of what was happening at Parky Grieve this morning, just appalling. Appalling. 1850-715-996. Back to the renaming of Anglesey Street. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Prince William has been named the world's sexiest bald man. Um, the Rock has weighed in on this. Yeah. Uh, the Rock has weighed in, and he's he's not happy. He's not happy. And people were thinking, oh, The Rock is is obviously putting himself forward. Yeah. The Rock has tweeted this. How in the cinnamon toast f does this happen when Larry David clearly has a pulse? <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96 FM. So let us go back to that story from earlier where Cork City councillors have unanimously voted to rename Anglesey Street in honour of the McSweeney family. Anglesey Street will now become the McSweeney Street or Shroyd Vic Swivner. There'll be a public consultation process and then the name will probably change sometime next year, assuming that it all goes through uh, unhindered. Um, not a lot of love in the room, I said, during the morning for the, the changing of names. Is there any need for it or how much is it going to cost or do you know, are we bigger, bigger, bigger fish to be frying, as it were? Kim, you were on the phone to us. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Very good. What would you like to say to me? Uh, first of all, I like to familiarize myself with the history of the community I live, which is very, very good. I love history. Uh, the only permanent thing in life is change. But I want to know who is Anglesey. What uh, de- uh, contribution has he made to, towards the development of Ireland? It is when we know that that we'll be able to just oppose now we know the, the impact and the contribution of Max Sweeney, what he has done. Yeah. We also would like to know what Anglesey has done, Paris Pursuit, to be able to compare the two so that we will know if changing the name to Max Sweeney is justifiable. You know what I mean? I do. It's a very, very own. interesting question, Akim. And I, I went, we, we looked briefly into it. Um, are one of our local historians and indeed he's a local councillor Kieran McCarthy the, the street was named in honour of a man called Henry Paget, and Henry mm-hmm. Paget was the first Marquis of Anglesey uh, most mm-hmm. significantly he was the first Lord Lieutenant of Ireland during the 1800s now okay. right, that, that's, that's the history of the street ok oh that's good but in that case that's good. So that means Max Sweeney made more contribution towards the development. If 
if that is the case, let's go ahead and change it. Change is good. I mean, the only permanent thing in life is change. So let's go ahead and change it. It's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So, and of course, they were the famine years, the 1800s, so we all know what happened then, and he was the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. So, we, you know, you and where are you from originally, Akim? I am originally from Nigeria, okay. and I like, uh, I love history so very much. Good, and how and, long uh, have you been here, mate? I have been in Ireland in 12 years. 12 years, and, and you've gone to the trouble of trying to learn our history, which, so, like, what's your understanding of Terence McSweeney? Ah, uh, uh, my my little understanding of uh, Maxwini is that he was arrested uh, by the British Army. Uh, I stand to be corrected. So, uh, but in his fight for for Ireland, he was arrested. So that that's a very big contribution. Yeah, it is, and he died on hunger strike. Good man, good man, Akim. Thank you for that. And so you reckon on the balances of never yeah, between between Henry Paget. Uh, Marcus of Anglesey and a toss-up between him and Terence McSweeney. You reckon Terence McSweeney made a bigger contribution to Cork and therefore changed the name? Uh, that what you're saying? Say that again. You're saying that in a toss-up between Henry Paget, the Marcus of Anglesey, and Terence McSweeney and his family, the contribution to Cork of Terence McSweeney was far greater and therefore the name would be changed. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. And uh, my little Irish is Toshe and a fool. It's very cold. <laughs> Good man. Thank you, Akeem. Gurav Mahagwatakara. Thank you, my friend. 1850-715-996. Toshe and a fool, says Akeem. Yeah, there's the reason. There is the reason. Uh, if you want to put one up against the other, that the original Henry Paget, Marcus of Anglesey, compare his contribution to the contribution to Cork's history of Terence McSweeney and his family, and it's kind of no contest. Adrian from Formoy says, I'm high risk. I got a call a few weeks ago to get a vaccine today at half 11. So I drove to Cork. Got a phone call from the HSE at 10.45 to say it was cancelled. To add insult to injury, when I was booked initially, I asked what vaccine would I get they specifically said they didn't know and I'd have to accept what I was getting. So even though I knew the AstraZeneca's were cancelled, I honestly didn't know what to do this morning. I was hoping it was Pfizer. I'm now absolutely gutted. Haven't been outside my home since March of last year, except for journeys of extreme necessity. It's very hard at my age. I would take my chances with the AstraZeneca. On top of that, no one gave any thought whatsoever to how people would feel with this roller coaster of emotion leading up to the decision, and then the uncertainty and the anxiety of leaving us hanging last night and this morning. And Adrian, as I said, is summing up the feeling of so many people that are contacting the opinion line this morning, uh, just, just, just gutted at the way it was handled, that we had the decision made yesterday, fair enough, by Nyack and its implications for AstraZeneca and all of that. But they had bookings for today, at Parky Cueve, they turned up as normal and they were turned away. There was no clinic there. And the point I'm making again and again is that the HSE has a very well-paid and very well-staffed communications unit, a big one, a national one, and they have local people. Why no press release? Why no press release last evening? Or why even not a flipping tweet 
But why no press release last evening to say that there wouldn't be a clinic at Parky Cueve today? Why not? Would put so many people getting up this morning and listening to the radio. For example, would have heard on the 7 o'clock news, 7.30 headlines with Victoria, they would have heard this morning, no clinic. They wouldn't have made a wasted journey. They'd have been bitterly disappointed, but they'd have been, they wouldn't have made a wasted journey. Very annoying. 1857, not good enough actually. Not that alone annoying. 1850 715 They are looking for your stories for a new festival. An online arts festival. They are looking for your stories. Find out more next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Bringing you all things Cork, great giveaways and the biggest tunes to race you through your afternoon. Here from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. At UCC, they want your stories. Elizabeth Black is from the Out of Orbit Festival. Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Great name for a festival. What's it about? Yeah, the festival is a virtual arts festival um, created by uh, my cohort and myself, uh, 12, 12 ladies, um, all done virtually online, um, created online for for the times that we're in, you know, kind of a, um, I guess, out of orbit kind of time. And um, so we're wanting to feature the arts and give some um, enjoyment and um, creativity to to the community. Okay. You're looking for people's stories. What kind of stories? Yeah, so one of the projects is called Stories from Cork, and it's a storytelling project that will feature stories about silver linings and humor from the lives of Cork community members. So it could be either either humor or a silver lining. And do do they write these stories or do they record them? What do they do? You can you can either write them or you can record them. So you can do it um, via WhatsApp, a voice message. So you can send that to zero eight five two eight six four nine eight seven, or you can email your story to storiesfromcork at gmail dot com, and then. With that, you just also want to just do our quick participation uh, form, which can be found on our website at ucc.ie. And anybody can take part. Anybody can take part and send Anyone in Cork. Yep. Any resident of Cork. And and when is the festival, finally? Yeah, the festival is the 13th to the 16th of May. And, yeah, you can check out the website, um, ucc.ie out of orbit. Okay. Elizabeth, good luck with it when it comes around and I hope you get plenty of submissions. That's Elizabeth Black from the Out of Orbit Festival www.ucc.ie forward slash out of orbit. A wide variety of comments coming in this morning on on all platforms. Uh, Rory Cowan, he to have been of Mrs. Brown's boys one time. he was listening or hearing our conversation with 
uh, Harry about growing up and being a young man and becoming a young man and trying to be a better man in the in this world. Uh, Rory from Mrs. Brown's Boys says, I know attitudes were different in my day, but if my mother or father had instigated conversations like those in that article, I'd have used any and every excuse I could think of to stay out until they were in bed. Yes. Thanks, Rory. 1850-715-996. On renaming streets and the renaming as agreed in the Council of Anglesey Street, named after a man called Henry Paget, who was the first uh, Marcus of Anglesey back in the 1800s. Well, Bernie says, I don't care what the streets are called. People's health is more important. We should concentrate on that. All we care about is when the streets will reopen and when we can get back out and gather and meet our friends, whatever our friends are called. And on Tinker Taylor Boss Lady Spy, a very amusing uh, conversation, amusing and interesting conversation with Alexandra from that very Facebook page earlier this morning. It's for people on the online dating world or in the online dating world, and she's put together a Facebook page of information for them. Uh, how to watch out for chancers online, as it were. Uh, someone who wishes to be anonymous. I couldn't possibly say why. Morning, PJ. I've slept with maybe a thousand women. Okay. And mostly with the advent, of, uh, the advent of social media apps or online apps. I can honestly tell you, women are far more dishonest when it comes to dates and dating. But they're just better at it. <laughs> They're better at lying and they're more discreet about it. Us men are simple creatures when it's all boiled down. He says women are far more unfaithful but far better at hiding it, which is probably a whole discussion for another morning. 1850-715-996. Speaking of things being set up in Cork, as we just were there with the stories from Cork, what is test site, Alva Cunningham? Good morning. Hi, how are you doing? So TestSite, I suppose, is a project that has grown out of um, a a group of artists looking at Cork City and trying to find places to work and come together and really physically intervene in testing how how our street kind of works for the community and how we can inhabit it. Mm. So it started back in January 2020. Aoife Desmond, she's a local filmmaker and artist, she put out an open call for artists to come and take part in her art environment making course. And COVID-19, I suppose the pandemic, it brought a big pause on all of our, our own practices. And it actually, we saw an opportunity to extend a conversation, that discussion, and really look at how we could maybe engage with the city and a sawmill site that had caught our attention just walking the streets, you know, the course moved outdoors into the open air mm. and um, then we approached the city council and asked them, you know, was there a possibility that we could we could use the space and temporarily see what we could do with it? Because it's only, I think, when you take a walk around our city, uh, and particularly, I suppose, at the moment when the streets are quiet, you see how many different parts, street corners, spaces, streets themselves, sidewalks, could be used as art space. Yeah, I suppose the city, like it, it's in, in any city in the world, it's an opportunity. And there's so many of us, there's a huge community in a city that can come together. And I suppose it's just taking that moment of pause, as you said, walking a street and actually just noticing. 
Um, the city council, they're obviously working to pedestrianise a lot of streets at the moment. They see the, the huge potential in this and they work hard to, to instigate it. And then it's just the other side, the community, having that, um, I suppose, space to think about it as well and mm. see how it manifests. What attracted you to Curl's Key as a base? Um, as I said, walking the streets as a group of artists, we had each actually individually noticed the sawmill, the, the old, like, really rich heritage of the site over the years. So the, there used to be a timber yard. There have been many, many versions of things emerge from car parks to public toilets mm. on the, the triangle of, or the island site that we're currently looking at um, installing a public space on. And we had each individually just found it fascinating, the biodiversity across the site that's really emergent ecology. So species that have just kind of fallen in through the wind or on an animal's foot or in a bird's beak. You know, it's really interesting. Yes, whole inner city nature, ecology and all that's fascinating. You you have a couple of ideas. An urban forest is one of the ideas and a pavilion. Talk to me about an urban forest in the middle of town. Where would you put that? Well, I suppose it's it's understanding what makes up a woodland in Ireland. And we all maybe think of the vast woodlands out in the countryside, but every tree in the city is part of a network of trees across the city. So what we're doing is we're collaborating with Home Tree and Leaf on Tashka's education department, and we're delivering 300 trees to the city potted. So really young sapling trees will come into full bloom on the site. So they'll have a temporary home as a cluster of 300 on the, the site for the summer, but then they'll actually find permanent homes in the city. So they'll be adding to that wider network of trees that obviously adds nothing but great wealth to, to the city's clean air and, mm. you know, even enjoyment sitting shaded under a tree in a park or on a road edge goes without saying that they only add benefit. So they'll be with us temporarily in the cluster of 300, but then we will find permanent homes for each of gotcha. the trees. That's a, it is a long-term project, isn't it? I mean, they, from a sapling to a tree, there's a few years. Exactly. There's quite a long life there ahead of the tree. And I suppose that's something that Home Tree, it's it's part of their, their mission statement, that it's not planting for today, it's planting for the future. So oh. with everything we're doing, the pavilion is temporary, but we by no means see it as something that, you know... What, what's that, what does that entail? Pavilion is a strange word. I mean, it, it could mean yeah. a, a pavilion is a clubhouse or a... You know, cricket club well, club clubhouse or something. What what's your idea of a pavilion? So a pavilion for us is a, it's a structure that allows you to test ideas. It's temporary, but it it adds a public space. So it adds a meeting point or a focal point from which people can look at things. So one area that we're looking at, you know, is the circular economy or resources. How we sustainably develop things in the city. So we're using locally sourced Douglas fir wood and reclaimed materials, and that everything is considered in the context, I suppose, of the heritage of the roof of the sawmill. So we're really drawing direct reference from the shape and the structure of the roof of the sawmill, but then also looking at how materials are put together. So something Mm. that traditionally would have been nailed and glued, we're trying to find a more, I suppose, sustainable way of of looking at it. It's not literally a building, like. It's not literally a premises as such where people can actually go, is it? Well, it's it's a shelter, so it's a temporary covered structure. So, I see. You know, as buildings go, it it won't be fully insulated and cosy and warm, but it will provide you shelter. Ah, right. No, yeah. It'll be a temporary covered space for for all exactly. this kind of work. Have you got other exactly. ideas coming down the tracks? Are you looking for more ideas? Well, I suppose that's the whole idea of pursuing a project like this. So there are examples the country over 
ideas can only grow from it, but we're really open. You know, we're not trying to master plan a, a future line of projects. We're really trying to engage with people locally, with the community, and figure out what comes from thinking about the city, what comes from making things in the city and doing things. So, yeah, it's all open-ended, but we really do hope that there's great potential. At the end of this, I, mean, if, I don't know if you have a defined end point, like a date, what would you like to have achieved in, say, 12 months' time? We'd really like to have developed a community of people, um, in, like knowledge transfer, really understand who's interested in the city. There's so many people working really hard day in, day out, in offices, in the council, in their private home, even just thinking about the way the city works. And we just want to create a community for people to come together and work together going forward. So, yeah, it, I suppose it's it's a little open-ended, but we see that as really, that's the huge opportunity. It's like a springboard, really, for other projects. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly, yeah. That's yeah. it. All right. All right. Good luck with it then. And uh, people want to find out more, uh, they can uh, look up the website testsitecurlskey.ie. Thanks very much from that, Alva. 1850s, Alva Cunningham, one of the participants in that. 1850-715-996. Andrew in Blackpool on vaccines. Several weeks ago, we had the news that the FAI had bandied about the idea of hosting some World Cup matches. Well, it doesn't bode well when we can't roll out a couple of injections. We can't even pick up the phone to tell people that those injections are cancelled today coupled with arguing and fighting with each other about the name of a street. Well, I think we're hardly arguing and fighting with each other about the name of a street, Andrew. Um, It's been decided to change it. I don't think there's anybody fighting about it. People are kind of a little bit of whataboutering going on. Why are we bothering to rename a street when we have people looking for homes? It, it, It comes up all the time in decision and discussions like that. Why are we doing this when we have people without homes? Why are we doing this when we have, you know, people without places for their kids in a special school? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Can we not just do them all, if at all possible? 1850-715-996. And on that, uh, Long Tom. Hi, Tom. I believe McSweeney should be memorialised because of his commitment to peaceful change. That is what we need. It doesn't have to unseat Lord Anglesey, though, because the cause of edu- it was the cause of education that he supported, which was very important. The road that 96 FM is based upon is named after the Duke of Wellington. He was a big supporter of the cause of Catholic emancipation and said if Catholics didn't get education or property rights, he would throw Westminster into the Thames. The people who named our streets originally and allowed the names of Wellington and Anglesey Street to stand Weren't fools, you know. They didn't forget about two big streets in the middle of Cork. I love that. Thank you, Tom. Tom, of course, teacher. Uh, The British names on the streets. That has set more mornings alight here on the opinion line. The changing of names and the proposal to change the names and all these British names. And you'll remember the fun we had about people going around with black paint and signs and, 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 and all of that kind of thing. Look properly into your history. Look properly into your history and you will find a good reason why we kept those names. 
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, why are we trawling through history to rename Rory? We rename a street after someone with a key named after him already. Why not a more modern figure? Roy Keane Boulevard or Killian Murphy Avenue. When Mick Nugent reminds us that Wellington Bridge was renamed Thomas Davis. The names of streets and bridges, you could keep a morning going. Very quickly before we go, the Cork Dog Action Welfare Group are appealing to people to be honest, I think, when you want to rehome a doggy. Is that it, Vicky? Good morning to you, Vicky Hurley. Hi, PJ. Um, yeah, really, the advice, I suppose, the, the Facebook post was for people to read the criteria that we have for a particular dog. Mm. Because and, a, lot pe- a lot of people have gotten dogs uh, during lockdown and during during it's the, gone crazy, gone yeah. mad altogether. You can't keep up supply, but people aren't being honest about it. No, um, obviously each dog has particular criteria of a certain type of home that they need. But people, I think the demand is so high for people just to want a dog. They're not thinking of of what that dog needs. They're mm. thinking more of themselves, really. So it's just. You know, we're getting so many emails, so many texts, so many messages. People have asked us to put them on waiting lists for dogs, which we we don't do. Um, and you know, it's it's just to think long and hard before yeah. they do apply for a dog. And part of what you do uh, as Dog Action Welfare Group is when I might come to you say, and I I want a dog. I, I I see one of the dogs you have, and I'd like to rehome that dog. You assess the suitability, not of me for the dog, but my home for the dog. Or the dog for me, but my me for the dog. Exactly. It, like, we match the dog with the home, you know, so it works out for both. It works out for the people who are adopting it to the dog, and it works out for that particular dog. We do our best to try to avoid things going wrong and the dog being returned to us. So that's why there is criteria. There are stipulations. Every dog needs a different home. You know, it's not one size fits all when it comes to dogs. Some are good with kids, some are good with dogs, some are good with cats. And there are criteria that you apply. Where can can one find those to read them? Uh, On our website. If you're going to our website and you're going to adoption, there is a list of basic, I suppose there's some criteria the same across the board for all dogs. We do Mm. ask that dogs are allowed indoors. We we are quite particular on the garden being secure. Yes, yes. And then, you know, there, there's some dogs, as I said, are good with kids, some dogs are not. So, but the general criteria is on our website okay. for people to have a read of. And that website is again? Dog Action Welfare Group. Okay, Dog Action Welfare Group. Listen, I'll leave it there, Vicky. Brief and to the point, thank you very much. Please, if you're going to adopt a dog, let them work with you rather than just demanding a dog from them. It doesn't work that way. Corks 96 FM. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.